You're listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. How am I doing at tamping down my giddiness about the Advent season? Um, Thanksgiving was over, and, and, and my wife's right. I'm going to give her credit. She's right. I can fast forward sometimes through Thanksgiving to get to Christmas. She says, why don't we slow down and do Thanksgiving? But then she is well aware that I feel like, like if you've been to the rodeo and seen like the bull behind the gate who's just there, just ready to go, and as soon as that gate opens, here he comes. That's me when it comes to Christmas, and so Nikki's like, we can go ahead and decorate, and I went, boom, and everything's just set up and ready to go. So here we are. It is this Advent season. Um, I do love, love, love this, uh, this time of year, and our, our series that we're talking about is Emmanuel, God with us, and we're going to be talking about that um, over the next several weeks, and it is one of the most beautiful, precious truths of the Bible. In fact, Charles uh, Spurgeon says it like this. He says, uh, the great name Emmanuel is eternity's sonnet, heaven's hallelujah, the shout of the glorified, the song of the redeemed, the chorus of angels, the everlasting oratorio of the great orchestra of the sky. This idea of Emmanuel, God with us. And then I am also fully aware that some people are here and don't know what this means. And I want you to know what it means. And I want, even if you're going, I know what the word means, maybe you've grown up in church or you've just heard it, um, and so you maybe know what it means, to, that it might mean even more to us during this season in particular. Because this is the season it tends to come up, because it comes up a couple places in the Bible. You heard me quote it from Isaiah a moment ago. But then also in Matthew's gospel, it says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. This is Matthew 1.18. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit." She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and it, Jesus is Yahweh saves, is essentially what that means, and it says, for he will save people from their sins. And here it is, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, that's a prophet Isaiah I read earlier, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And very helpfully, Matthew tells us what it means, which means God with us. Now, the way I have spelled it here is with an E. You might know it as Emmanuel or Emmanuel. Um, I had it spelled with an I, which is, if you were really taking it from the Hebrew and trying to figure out how to write it, you'd probably use an I, or from the Greek, it starts with something kind of like, um, like our E, and so um, E is generally the Greek, and I is generally from the Hebrew. I've always seen it e, uh, Emmanuel with an I, and I had this whole thing, we got all the logos and all that stuff, and I showed it to Nikki, and she goes, that's not how you spell Emmanuel. And I was like, oh, you're, no, you're just, you're, you just don't, I'll, I'll, don't worry about it. And so I started asking people, and I kid you not, I asked about the first 10 people, and they all went, that's not how you spell Emmanuel. That's not how you spell Emmanuel. And so I then, um, in my wisdom, I um, decided to just keep asking until somebody would say, yes, it starts with an I, that looks great, and nobody did. So I finally have conceded 
Emmanuel, God with us. You can write it either way, though, in case you're wondering, because you might see it both ways. And the important thing is not if you get the E or the I better or worse or Hebrew or Greek or anything like that. It's what it means, which is Emmanu is with us and El is God. And so it's with us, God. And so Matthew helpfully tells us Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so you hear this, especially around this Christmas story. Um, you heard it in Matthew's gospel as it was prophesied in the book of uh, Isaiah. And I, like, I want to build up to this, but I, like, I, can't, I, I don't even know how to grasp if I knew I was living in the day where God was with us, where God was in, in the way that Jesus was. He is walking. He is living. You can, go, you can go talk to him. You can go shake his hand or give him a hug or something like that. Like living in that day, God with us. Charles Wesley had the great hymn, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell, Jesus our Emmanuel. Hark the herald angels sing. This idea, though, of Jesus or of God being with us, I started just seeing it, not just in this one instant, but I started just seeing it all throughout the Bible. And if you've ever, and this could be in the Bible or maybe something else for you, but for me, when I'm reading the Bible and I start to see something, it's hard to unsee it. And I want you to not be able to unsee this. Did I say that right? I think I did. I want you to not be able to unsee what I'm about to show you, which is this idea of God with us is not something that just happened at that first advent. Let me just show this to you throughout the Old Testament. I'm going to give you a bunch of examples here. Uh, Abraham. God to uh, Abraham in Genesis 17 says, I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. I will be with you in the land is what he's saying. That's Abraham. What about Isaac? Genesis 26. The Lord appeared to Isaac the same night and said, I am the God of Abraham, your father. Fear not. For I am with you. It's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Many times. Genesis 28. Behold, I am with you. This is God to Jacob. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you. Then Jacob awoke and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. A little bit later, the Lord said to Jacob, Return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred, and I will be with you you. A little bit later, Genesis 35, he's looking back, Jacob is, and says, let us arise, go to Bethel, so I, may, um, so I may make there an altar to the God who answers me in the day of my distress and has been with me wherever I have gone. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Do you recognize the name Joseph? Old Testament Joseph, not New Testament Joseph. Old Testament Joseph. Um, gets put in prison in Egypt all by himself, and um, how in the world is he going to get through something like this? Genesis 39, but the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And so the keeper of the prison starts seeing him and starts seeing God is with you and God is blessing you, and so he starts giving his prisoner, this Egyptian uh, um, uh, what is he, prison guard, starts giving this, this Israelite prisoner more and more responsibilities and starts trusting him. And it says the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because, why? The Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. 
What about Moses? Moses was really good at giving excuses, if you remember that. God appears to him in a burning bush, which like, I think we probably go, I feel like that would be the end of it for me, is if God starts talking out of a burning bush, I'll go, all right, whatever you want. I don't know. We might be more like Moses if we were back in the day. And he gave excuse after excuse. But if you, if you remember how, one of the ways that God finally ended up convincing him to go, Moses said to God, who am I? This is Exodus 3. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And God said, but I will be with you. And then as they left Egypt, if you know the story, they had a big cloud that would lead them during the day. There was the presence of God. They had this big pillar of fire that was God is with us. That says multiple times they'd never been that way. They didn't know where they were going, but they knew God is with us and we will follow him day or night. Leviticus, he promises um, to the people through Moses that he would be with them. Leviticus 26, I will make my dwelling among you. I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. Moses dies. They raise up Joshua as the next leader. God says, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. You see in a pattern, like we're just up to David, and already it's, I will be with you, I am with you, I am with you, I am with you. It is God with us. The big concept here is I will be with them, they are mine, I will be their God. He says to David when he's establishing what we call the Davidic covenant, you established for yourself your people Israel to be your people forever, and you, O Lord, became their God. Foreshadowing what would happen in the new covenant in Jeremiah, it says, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And on and on and on throughout the Old Testament, you are my people, I am with you, over and over. And then the New Testament here is Emmanuel, God with us. That's how the thing opens. And then how does Jesus' earthly ministry, what's one of the last things he says? We have it as you head out of the room, go and make disciples of all nations. And he says, teaching them, baptizing them. And then he says, surely I will be with you always to the very end of the age. And on and on. Romans 8, it talks about Christ in you, God's spirit dwelling within you. 1 Corinthians 6, your body's a temple of the spirit that you have inside you. And on and on and on. And it is God not just in one time and in one culture, but on and on and on and over and over and over saying, I am with you. God with us. And so if you've ever, and it could be Bible or it could be another, another field, if you will, where you, you, you're studying something and then you realize something and you go, oh my gosh, look at this. I don't know if people realize this truth that God is with you throughout, you know, for, forever, like from the very beginning to the very end, this idea of God with us. And then I started taking this class in seminary and I found out everybody knew about this. In fact, there's a term for it, a theological term for it called the Emmanuel Principle. And you can start tracing it throughout the Bible, the Emmanuel principle, the idea that God is with you. A guy named o, o. Palmer Robertson says this. He says, throughout the biblical record of God's administration of covenant, a single phrase recurs as the summation of the covenant relationship. I shall be your God and you shall be my people. The constant repetition of this phrase or its equivalent indicates the unity of God's covenant. This phrase may be designated as the Emmanuel principle of the covenant. The heart of the covenant is the declaration 
that God is with us. So what I would love to do over the next several weeks, God is with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Moses, Israelites, Leviticus, on and on and on. Through the prophets, he's speaking through them. He is with them. I could bore you to death with all the different examples of this. In the New Testament, you see Jesus, literally Emmanuel, God with us. And then you see all throughout the New Testament, you see all these examples of God still with us. And we go, okay, I want to argue here that he is with us even today. That he will be with us up until the time he even returns. In fact, let let me just show you this. Um, One of the things I think we miss quite a bit is in Eden, at the very beginning, God brings, like think about how he was with Adam and Eve very personally, that he gives life to Adam, that he creates him, that he forms him, that he then takes the rib, that he forms Eve, that he brings Eve to Adam, that he spoke directly to them while he's in the garden. And then you see sin enter and break everything. And then right after that, here's what happens in Genesis 3. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Imagine having that kind of relationship. It seems like it's a normalish thing that's happening. Adam and Eve hanging out, and then God walks with them. He is with them in his fullness. But now sin has entered, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. They didn't have to before, but they do now because sin has entered and they feel shame before a perfect holy God. But the Lord God, he's talking to him, called to the man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Now he feels this shame before God. So they had this perfect God with us in the garden. Sin enters and now we get shadows of it. We get hints of it in a different way. All this time, and then do you know what it says at the very end in Revelation? Then I saw the new heaven, this is John talking, then I saw the new heaven and new earth, for the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, this is the second to last chapter of our Bible, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Emmanuel, God with us in the garden perfectly. Emmanuel, God perfectly with us in the new heavens and new earth. Jesus, the perfect one coming to earth, God with us. But then we see throughout the Bible, we start to see God is with people in a certain way, in a different way. How? And what about in 2022? These are the things we're going to be talking about. I want to give you one one thing uh, today that I think is important, but none of this is going to work. None of this is going to work. None of this is going to move your heart, or honestly, we won't even care about this if we think that there is a prize in this life that is greater than the very presence of God himself. If we think the stuff God gives me, the money he gives me, the pleasure that I have in this life, that stuff is really why I love God is because all these things that I think he does for me. If, if that's the real treasure, then as we're talking about God is with you, that is going to fall completely flat. But what we had in the garden, what we will have in eternity is we have the very presence of God with us. God is the prize. God is the object of our worship. God is what we want, and God is what 
we need. <clears throat> we have to agree on that. Somehow that's got to sink in. This is a hard one for me sometimes because I do think I, I can look at the things that God gives me and I can worship the, the gifts instead of the giver of the gifts. And the reality is I worship God. The gift is God himself. That is the great prize that we have. If the goal is just the stuff that God gives us or the things that we acquire or just, you know, he, his presence is a nice add-on to the life that we're already leading or I've got this life that I've constructed for myself and I'll sort of mix God in at times, we miss this whole concept of Emmanuel, God with us. And I want to show you for just a couple minutes about how do we live and why does this matter um, if, if God is, it, he wasn't just with them and not with us and now he's just sort of sitting up in heaven like, well, figure it out, I'll return someday, okay? How, how is this concept of God with us, how is it manifested actually today? And I think the way that we can understand this is we have people here from all sorts of different church backgrounds. We have people here from no church background at all. This might be your first time that you've ever walked in the church. And let me say, if that is you, you are most, most welcome here. Thank you for coming today. But wherever you are, like, like whatever, whatever, I don't know if baggage is too strong a word, but we just, we kind of get these lanes of this is how I grew up or this is my past, this is my history. And we, we can relate to God in one of three different ways. And how we view our faith, how we view our standing before God generally falls into one of these three categories. And I'm going to tell you why it matters for this idea of God with us. They both start with R, so see if any of them resonate with you. The first one would be ritual. This is, you might have grown up in a Protestant church, a Catholic church, an Orthodox church, whatever it is, and it might have been all about empty ritual to some people. Now, to some people, that routine, the, the, the sameness, there's real beauty in that as well. I'm not trying to, to minimize that, but there's several people that have grown up in different contexts where it's just going to church, I'm just, oh, we're standing now, now we're sitting, now we're singing, now we're, you know, and just kind of going through, oh, we're praying, I know to bow my head, is he done? Amen, amen means I'm done, you know, and so I'll just wait till he says that. It's not what amen means, by the way, but a lot of times we think that. And maybe it's, for you, the way you see yourself before God is, he's up there, I'm here, I'm going to go through these rituals, and someday I may be with him. So let me, let me first say this. If that's you and you've grown up in a place, or maybe that's your background, where it was kind of a routine before God, that was the nature of your relationship before him, that's how you, that's how you saw it. There's a couple good things about it I don't want you to miss. First of all, a lot of those churches I just mentioned, or a lot of those, those strands, those traditions, um, those can have um, a couple things that can be very positive. Um, number one, generally you can go to those places and you can have a very high sense of sacredness and awe of God and who he is. Sometimes they can foster that in a really positive way. The second thing, a lot of those places, a lot of those churches um, really can tie you back to church history, and you can be realizing, I, I'm not just here going, well, we're in 2022 in America, it's like we invented church or something like that. You're, you're there speaking prayers or creeds or um, doing some things that maybe the church has done for like 2,000 years, and so you can have that confidence of going, we didn't just invent this. This is something that we're standing on the shoulders of people that have gone before us, men and women that have died for the faith before us. But oftentimes, if what we have, if all we have is we see before God, we see, it's just the rituals, it's just the, the routines that I go through. It can be cold and lifeless if we're not careful. 
can really turn us off. It's a bad message of what he came to do if all it is is just da 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 and go through the motions. I think when I was little, and this is not from my parents, I don't know where I got this, but if there was a time when you'd ask me, do you think God is with you? I'd say, yeah, God's with me. What, do you, what does that mean? I would have thought then my perception of God with me was like, you know, like you do this as a parent, you're like, you know, when you're out with your girlfriend, God is watching, God is with you, <laughs> right? Like it's, it's the, the, um, the one who's going to smack you when you sin, like, well, you know, I can't see you, but God can. Anyway, have a good night, you know, and send people out. Like, I think I would have thought that, that what does it mean God is with me is to think he's, he's just sitting there to just tell me, no, no, no. You blew it again, Jim. And what can happen is if we have that image of God, God is with us because all we have in him is we just have this routine of just what we do over and over and over. Over time, it can lead to the second thing, which is rebellion. Rebellion. Let me say something positive here. I know rebellion is a strong word, but um, there are people who would, would say, yeah, yeah, I think that's probably a little bit of me, or I've been through that phase a little bit. One of the, I don't know if I can say positives, but one of the positives could be, or something to take from this, is um, for those that grew up like with ritual, or the other one we'll talk about in a minute, oftentimes asking any questions is a big no-no. You're not supposed to do that. But people who are like, okay, I don't like this ritual thing, and so I'm actually, I'm just going to swing hard the other way to try and just figure out how to live now. Um, generally, they feel the freedom to go, why do horrible things happen? Why, why, why isn't the Russia Ukraine, Ukraine, why isn't that done? Why are bad things happening in the world? Why, why are bad things happening to my friend? Like they feel the freedom to ask those kinds of things. Of course, the, the danger of that is if you're living in a state of rebellion, sort of antagonism towards um, towards God, we can just get stuck in those questions as though the question is noble instead of actually figuring out the answer. There's people that are living the ritual. Some have pushed back on that and maybe living in, I know it's a harsh word, but rebellion. And one of the things we need to start with in this little series is the third R, what we are supposed to have with God. It's relationship. We have a relationship with God because of what Jesus Christ has done. <clears throat> now, let me just give a quick caution here because a lot of churches today, especially largely I'll call them evangelical churches, are really, really, really emphasize this, like relationship, relationship, relationship. And, and a lot of that awe of God can be gone. And so what happens is you now, they're, they're now teaching have a relationship with your best buddy and they're, they're teaching you to have a relationship and teaching you to worship someone that's not really a picture of who God is, that God is with you, that God is personal. But all that stuff we talked about from the first stream, that there, is, there should be a sacredness, there should be an awe, there should be a reverence. And the most amazing thing about God with us is that God walks with us, that he is with us because of who he is and how amazing and wonderful he is, how different and other from us he is, the fact that we go, and Emmanuel, God with us, that's what makes it pop. Amen. So the question would just be, how do we do this? How do we live in this relationship? I'll, I'll give you a couple things um, quickly. One thought, and then we'll dig into this more in the next several weeks. Because some of you, when I, when I say, Good news, what you have with God is a relationship. Some of you go, oh, great, another relationship. Some of you introverted people or some of you that are just, 
Uh, I don't know. Some relationships come easy to me. Some I just feel like I've known them for years. Why can't I feel like I have a conversation? Like sometimes I'm just horribly awkward in relationships. And, um, and even if you're going, no, I'm pretty sharp relationally, keep in mind this is a relationship with God that is unlike any other person. So this is distinct from any other relationship that we might have. And how can we do that? How can we live into God with us in relationship with him? I'll say a couple things very quickly. One, if you think about how we have relationships in this world, we tend to base every relationship on immediacy, like what's happening in the present or perhaps near future, and then our um, our feelings or our perception. Like in America, we have our feelings are king. Our, our perceptions are king. If you feel a certain way, then that now becomes truth. And, and you know, wh- whatever you think is true, that's your truth, and that's fine. That, that's, how we, that's the world we That's not biblical, but that's the world that we live in. And so we have this thing of the immediacy right in front of us, and then our, our perception or our, our feeling becomes king. And oftentimes in our relationship with God, if we are just focused on the immediacy of it or just focusing on our own perception or our own feelings, we can start to ask the question, why isn't God doing this? Why doesn't he do this? It doesn't feel like he's with me. So maybe he's not. Maybe he's taking a nap and he'll be back with me at some point. I think about this, like if you think about it in the moment, you can have a really, really good friend and then you get a text from her and you go, but this text is, I thought we were great friends, but this text, she's a little short with me in this and so um, maybe we're not as close as I thought and so all of a sudden, all the background of your relationship together because of one text can kind of get thrown into, "Eh, are we really that tight? Or, uh, boy, I'm sick and he he didn't even call. I mean, are we even that close anymore, right? Like, so that immediacy in the moment, um, and then how do, we, how, do, how do we, in our broken, sinful minds, how do we perceive reality? What I'd encourage you to do is this. Instead of thinking, trying to say, I will, uh, I will measure my relationship with God by what I am perceiving in the moment, to stop and think back about what do I know for sure that God has done in the past, okay? Instead of just focusing on what do I perceive in the moment and why doesn't God do this, one of the ways we can actually enhance our relationship in the moment and stir our affections for him is to remember what he has done in the past. Listen to this, Romans 5. Since we have been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. For while we were weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, how much more will we be saved by him from the wrath of God? For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life? More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Did you catch what he has done? That we were enemies of his. We had no hope on our own, and he loved you so much, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die so that we could be in relationship with him. And if you think back on that, he has 
done this in the past. It changes our present and how we relate to him. Or Ephesians 2. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were dead in trespasses and sins. Following the course of this world, following the prince and the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work and the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And then it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sin, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. This is a gift of God, not a result of work, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. When we remember what God has done for us in the past, our, our, our present, we can get a little cloudy as we try and perceive, is God with me? If we remember, this is what God has done. This is who he is. This is how great his love is for me. And so when he says God is with me, I will trust it, I will believe it, and I will honor that that is the great prize that my heart seeks. You know, it's interesting. One of the reasons why um, Thanksgiving can be such a meaningful holiday is, is think about what we do. Besides we eat a ton and watch football and just lay around and all those kinds of things. Think about what we do on Thanksgiving. It's a time of pausing and thinking back on how blessed we are. It can move the blinders a little bit from the things in our life immediately right then that we might be going, oh, life is so hard, life is so bad, and we just get caught up, caught up, caught up, caught up. And all of a sudden, we have to sit and we have to pause and we have to go, wait a minute, I am thankful for this. I am thankful for this. It's a good practice to have that regularly in our relationship with the Lord. 